We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Monte. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Monte. So we're in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 7. And, and really, when you look at this text right here, you guys, I see like uh, an awesome example of an apostle, uh, an awesome example of an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You know, Paul the Apostle uh, was uh, given to us, I think, so much is written about him. You read Acts chapter 9 all the way to 28, or, you know, you read 13 of the 27 letters in the New Testament. It's all about this guy, Paul the Apostle, and how God used his life. And so you might wonder, why is there so much about him? And I think a large part of that is because he's an example to us. He is. You know, how many of you guys want to hear, hear you, you want to be a man of God? I mean, I mean, you want to be a man of God. Come on. If you don't want to be a man of God, then go out the doors right here. You know what? We're here to be uh, stirred up by the Lord, man. We're here uh, not only that God will wash away our sins, but, man, that God would raise us up and stir us up in such a way that we could be used by the hands of Almighty God, you know? And so... You know, we need examples like Paul. Um, I think it's good for the guys. I think it's also good for the gals to see the way that ministry works. And as you go through our our text today, you're going to see that there's six things that kind of stand out as far as what we want to do, man, how we want to be. And you're going to see it in Paul. It's so beautiful. Notice here in verse 2, Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, Open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one, we have corrupted no one, we have cheated no one. I do not say this to condemn, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to to live together. Great is my boldness of speech toward you, great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort, I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. You know, Paul was having some relationship struggles with the Corinthian church. Um, Paul had planted the church back in Acts chapter 18. And then when he left, about 18 months later, you know, Paul was always going around uh, ministering. Uh, God called him to, to be a missionary like that. When he left the church, uh, they got weird. And some guys, I guess, had followed back, and they were Judaizers, and they were kind of turning the congregation against Paul. And so when you look at the history of it, you put it all together, basically what happened was Paul planted the church, he left. And when things got weird, he, he went and he wrote 1 Corinthians. And you read 1 Corinthians, and you see some of the struggles they were having, the, the divisions, the carnalities. Um, apparently that didn't help. So then he went to Corinth, 
Uh, after going to Corinth, things even got worse. And so he left, and this time he wrote a letter. And he wrote a letter to them that was really, really a severe letter. It was a, a crazy letter, spanking them in, in a very, very, you know, in, in such a way that after he wrote the letter, he says, I regretted it. You know, he just totally rebuked them. You know, like, you know, this really, really, really bad. And, and so, you know, the thing is, is that, is that he loved these guys. He loved them. You know, you can have people in your life and, and you know, they come and go. And, and, you know, you can be one of those people where you're like, I don't care. I, I don't really care if they, if they like me or they don't like me. Some Christians are real proud of that. You know, I'm here to please the Lord. And, you know, if they got a problem with me, ain't no thing but a chicken wing. You heard that, right? And it's no big deal. I've heard some pastors pretty much say that. And, and, you know, we need a balance, you guys. Um, we need to have a heart. Number one, I just want to please God. I just want to please God. But at the same time, I mean, come on. You know, we care about people. You know, if, if these relationship struggles are going on, then, uh, you know, it hurts. It should anyways. And, and that was what was going on with Paul. And so he wrote the letter and he sent it to the Corinthian church. And then he was waiting for Titus to, to come back and to tell him what happened. You know, were, did, were they receptive? Did they receive the rebuke? I mean, are things cool? And, uh, and, and that's where Paul, he went through this emotional roller coaster up and down and all around until, until finally we'll see as we go through today that when the letter came back, Titus met him in Macedonia that a lot of the church had come around, that things were good, but, um, but, but, but there were still a few that, that still weren't on board. And so Paul is actually fighting for them. I love them. I don't want one person to slip through the cracks. And so that was really the whole background to Second Corinthians. And so he's trying to win them over and, and today in our text, we're going to see in the big picture is that he, you know, he talks about rebuking them. He gives a good example of who he is. Next week, Lord willing, we'll talk about what happens when you receive a rebuke. There's this genuine, sincere repentance that brings you to salvation, that brings you to an awakening, that brings you to the power of the Holy Spirit, man, that that godly sorrow that you're not just bummed that you got caught, but that your godly sorrow leads you to genuine repentance. Okay, But before we get there, we see Paul as an example. And look what we read in verse 2. Paul says, Open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. Paul here, he tells them, you know, don't be tontos. That's what he says in, in the original language. No, I'm just joking. He just says, open up your hearts, man. Later on, he's going to talk about it some more. You know, we have been, and here's example number one, blameless. We've been blameless with you. The word uh, translated wronged here, it means to act as a criminal, to have violated the laws of the land. We haven't, you know, wronged anyone. We haven't violated the laws of the land. We haven't corrupted anyone. That word right there, it speaks really of money and morals. It can even speak of doctrine. 
And then thirdly, we haven't cheated anybody. I know you guys like to cheat when you play games. I know how you guys are. You know, you're like, I want to win, you know, so you sip something right here. But, you know, in life, Paul's saying we've, we haven't done that. We haven't literally defrauded or exploited or taken advantage of someone for the purpose of monetary gain. And so when you look at those words right there, it, a lot of people believe that the accusation against Paul was that he was dipping into the finances. And so he says, you know what, we haven't, we haven't done that. As a matter of fact, we have been blameless. Unlike the Judaizers who had gone in and were ripping the people off, think about it, they were even charging them. He's saying, hey, you got to pay us in order for us to preach. You know, that's the background of those that have slipped in behind Paul. Said, no, we weren't like that. We didn't, you know, charge you for it. And so he's, he's trying to, to get them to come to this place where they would be blessed by God. That's all. That's all. You know, not to make it complicated, not to make it sophisticated. We want God to bless your life. God wants to bless your life. Do you know what God has for you? You know what kind of marriage He has for you? You know what kind of... Uh, uh, kids and parenting and just the way that he provides for you financially, the way that he takes care of you, the way that he puts a smile on your face and joy in your heart and love in your life. And he just wants to bless your life. I don't know if you know how good God is. But man, let me tell you something. He is good. I mean, sometimes I have to pinch myself. I'm like, Lord, I don't get it. Why? Who am I? What am I? What is my family that you have allowed me to have this life with my wife? To be able to, to experience the things that you've given to me, Lord. And I know I've got a long ways to go, man. I know that I'm a work in project. I know I fall so short all the time. But you have blessed my life. You know, and God has blessed your life. God wants to continue to bless your life. God wants to bring you to that place of blessing. Paul wanted to bring the Corinthians to that place of blessing. And so he, he basically just kind of, hey man, will you guys receive the, this ministry? Will you receive me? I'm a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number one, I've been blameless. I haven't wronged anybody. I haven't exploited anyone. I haven't cheated anyone. You know, and just as a quick side note, that's a good example for us, right? To, to be blameless. You know, as ministers and ambassadors, we should make it, make it our aim, you know, to, to be blameless, right? And, and then he goes on in, in verse 3, something really important for us as Christians. He says, I do not say this to condemn. You know, sometimes you go to church and I don't know, some of you here are here because you want to be here. How many of you here are here because you want to? No, I'm just joking. I won't make you guys do that. Some of you guys are here because I have to be here. I have to be here. You know, it could be your parents. It could be your, you know, your children. It's funny how the Lord will even use the kids, huh? Mommy, Daddy, take me to church. Not today. Yeah, but Dad, I want to go. I like the church next to the lolly cup, right? It's funny, you know, and some people are here because they want to be here. Some people are here because they have to be here. And sometimes people don't want to be here because they feel like the message is, man, he's just condemning me. He's just telling me that, that if I don't receive Christ as my Lord and Savior, then I'm, I'm not going to go to heaven, man. And, and, and it's true, but we're not condemning you. 
We're not here to condemn you. We're here to save you. We're here to be used by God to save you, to bless you. As Christians, we shouldn't be that type of Christian that condemns because that's not how God is. John chapter 3, verse 16, you guys know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You guys are all messed up, man. <laughs> but what about verse 17? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, right? But that the world through him might be saved. We're not here to condemn you. We're here to be used by God to save you, to bless you. We're Christians. We want to be godly. And God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. See, and Paul says the same thing. I'm not saying this to condemn you. We have to have that heart. The word right here, it speaks of a decision that's made against someone. You know, God's heart is to save. He even said in Luke 9.56, For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. I mean, you know, okay, you don't want to listen to me? That's fine. Just listen to the Bible. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. God has a wife for you. God has a husband for you. God has a life for you. God has a job for you. God has a future for you that he'll bless you and use you and then take you to heaven. We're not here to condemn you. We're here by God's grace. We want to be used by him to bless your life. Now, some Christians, however, think that, I think that they think that's their job. I want to crush them. No, we're here to save them. We're not here to condemn them. That's not our heart, right? Of course, we know that people will be condemned. But in all honesty, they condemn themselves, right? By rejecting the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when that simple message of salvation goes forth, that you're made in God's image. That when you sin, you separate yourself from God. But Jesus died on a cross to save you. And all you have to do from your heart is receive Him as the Lord and Savior of your life. Repent of your sins. And you will be saved right there and then. And when you really do that, then your life will change. Or you're like, hey Manny, I prayed the prayer. Hey Manny, I went forward. Hey, Manny, whatever, you know, I went to church. That's cool. Question, is your heart different? Are you changed? Because when it's real, when you really do that, repent of your sins and receive Christ, then your life will change. And what you find is this, the assurance of salvation is not in praying a prayer, it's not in going forward. The assurance of salvation is a life that is changed. So let me just ask you today, is your life different? Is your life transformed? Are you changed? Are you a new man? Are you a new woman? Is there anything new about you and true about you and different about you? Because if not, then you don't know the Lord. And you've got to dig deeper in your heart. We're not here to condemn you. We're here that God would use our life to save you, but don't condemn yourself. See, for us as Christian ministers, as apostles, we learn how to do ministry. We learn, number one, I want to make it my aim to be blameless. I don't want to wrong anybody, corrupt anybody. I don't want to do this. Secondly, I don't want to condemn anybody. That's not what it's about. May God use our life to save people, right? 
I mean that the lost will be found and find freedom and forgiveness in Christ. As a matter of fact, the, the third thing that we see right here, it, it, it's, all, it's really underneath everything that we do. He says, For I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. You know, you want to know how to do ministry? You can go to a seminary and they'll tell you you can read it in a book. And that's fine. But just read the Bible. Be blameless. Do your best to be blameless. Don't go around condemning people, beating up people, crushing people. May God use your life to attract them to the Lord, to save them. Use wisdom when you're fishing for men. And then thirdly, make sure it's always motivated by love. It's so cool what Paul says right here. Number one, open your hearts to us, he says in verse 2. And then here he says, you know, the bottom line is, is that, you know, you're in our hearts. Verse 3, I do not say this to condemn, for I have said before that you are in our hearts. I mean, what's that? What does that mean? It means that he loved them, huh? You know, how many of you guys here, you send little heart messages to your wife? Isn't it cool when you do that? I have all these little heart things on my phone, and I get the one with the, the yellow face with the hearts that are the eyes and the mouth. I send that one to Shelly. Ooh, I score points on that one, man. <laughs> and then there's the other one where the, the guy, the, he's whistling the heart. Oh, man, she loves that. As a matter of fact, the other day I sent her, the, the, I have a new one, it's a heart that beats. And she's like, I think that's my favorite, you know? And I mean, because why? What are you saying? You're saying, I love you. And, and you know, that's what I'm talking about here. This, brothers, we are not professionals. This is not a job. This is not a vocation. This is not a routine. This is love. You know, I can talk to Alex. And I know he feels the same way. He's in my heart. He's in my heart. I'm in his heart. We love each other. That's the way it should be. You know, right here, Paul's talking to Corinthians, and he's not ashamed to say it. Some guys are ashamed to say it. Some guys, you know, they hesitate to say it. I don't want to say the L word, you know. <laughs> I love you. I love you. You're in my heart. You're in my heart. I mean, this is, this is ministry. And I tell you what, we live together, and we die together, Right? That's where he was with the Corinthians. And it's such a beautiful thing to see. You know, some people think that maybe the living together has to do with them going to heaven. Hey, man, one day we're going to be there in heaven forever. Others believe that he's talking about living together on earth, which can be more difficult, right? But it, we're together on this. We love. This is ministry. We're aimed to be blameless. This is ministry. We're not going around condemning people. This is ministry. We love people, right? This is where it's at. He told the Philippians the same thing in chapter 1, verse 7. I have you in my heart. I mean, you know, this is something the Lord's doing in this church. But I know Mark will tell you the same thing. People will tell you the same thing. Nadine is in our hearts. The Alvarez family is in our hearts, right? And there's other, sometimes they stand out because there's times where they're heavier on their hearts. You know, I think of Anna and Conrad Garcia. To me, they're like a modern day Job. They have been going through so much. And I think of this sister over here and this brother over here and the things that they've been going through because they're in our hearts. That's just, that's not just like, 
you know, tricky language. This is the truth. Paul was a real, real, real apostle. And this is, this is what we do as, as ministers. Look what he says in, in verse 4. He says, Great is my boldness of speech towards you. This is ministry. How many of you here would consider yourself to be bold? Some of you here, you are. But most of you here, you're not. Right? And, and, and yet, this is a very important part of ministry. It's very important. You know, if I'm off, I need somebody to tell me that. Somebody who, by the way, I know loves me. When Paul says we use great boldness of speech towards you, remember that's now talking about that second letter where he severely rebuked them. And, and you know, uh, when Paul's talking about it, he's just talk, he literally says, I, I was frank with you. I didn't hold anything back. You guys, I want you to know that that's an important part of ministry. It really is. You know, for us to use that those rebukes, those times of verbal discipline, you know, we need somebody to tell us like it is. You know, of course it needs to begin gently, but then if they don't want to listen, you know, it's, it continues faithfully, consistently, eventually it becomes, if they don't want to listen severely, but we need people willing to rebuke. And there will be those urgent times when things get dangerous, Proverbs 27.5, it says, Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. And Proverbs 28.23 says, He rebukes a man will find more favor afterward than he who flatters with the tongue. So right here, Paul's talking about the fact that they had been frank with them. They had been open, unreserved in speech. They didn't hold anything back. As a matter of fact, if you go down to... Verse 8, look at verse 8. It says, For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. I mean, have you ever said something? Maybe you wish, oh, I wish I wouldn't have been so mean to my kids or my wife or my friend. Or maybe you send an email afterwards and you're thinking, oh, I shouldn't have sent it, you know? That was kind of like how Paul was. I, I, I wrote this letter. Look, look back at chapter 2. And verse 4. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears. Not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. This is such a... A sensitive issue, you know? Because I think there are some people, they think that they're the Holy Spirit. You know, there are some people who think that, you know, it's their job to set everybody straight. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you're, when you're the Nathan. When you're the one that has been bathing this in prayer. When you're the one that loves David. And where you're the one that God said, I want you now to go and I want you to talk to David because he's having a really hard time. Thank God that Nathan did what he did. 
What if that Nathan was never there? What if there was never anyone bold enough to be able to go up to King David and tell him that he's the man, that he's in sin? I mean, when, when Nathan went and, and rebuked King David and told him that story, man, it, it brought him back to the Lord. You know, we need to really pray and ask God, am I the one? Lord, do you want to use my life to, to correct someone and set them straight. I mean, I thank God for my wife. She's really good at that, you know. Usually our wives are good and husbands are good. But I tell you what, when you hear it from someone else every once in a while who really cares, something that needed to be said. Come on, man. Man up. Grow up. What's wrong with you? Why do you got one foot in the world, one foot in the church? Why do you have a divided heart? Why are you dating a non-believer? Why in the world would you want to go and, 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 and get drunk? What for? You know, why are you watching that? Why are you listening to that garbage? Maybe you won't use those words, but you know, thank God that, that we have those opportunities. But it needs to be done in a way that is so spirit-led. Don't be the Holy Spirit, but be spirit-led. You know, I was reading from William Barclay some, some, a really good balance on this. Because sometimes people will say, well, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say, I see them about to die. But I'm not going to say anything. I've made that mistake many times where I see something is going in the wrong direction and I didn't say anything. And in the end, it was my bad. Listen to what William Barclay said. Speaking about Paul, he said, He was quite clear that there came a time when rebuke was necessary. It often happens that the man who seeks an easy peace finds in the end nothing but trouble. The man who allows a perilous situation to develop because he shrinks from dealing with it the parent who exercises no discipline because they fear unpleasantness, the man who will not grasp the nettle of danger because he wants to find the flower of safety in the end simply piles up greater trouble for himself. Trouble is like disease. If it is dealt with at the right time, it can often easily be eradicated. If not, it becomes an incurable growth. And that's why, you know, we got to be ready and willing to rebuke. You know, but at the same time, don't be, you know, a, a mean person. I'll, I'll tell you an example. I remember one time, one of the guys here in church, he, he fell in, 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 into sexual sin. And, you know, um, I, maybe that would make you mad. But, but here's a girl, she just came out of like left field. And and she she didn't really have like a, a friendship with this guy, a relationship. She didn't have that type of relationship. And man, she just pounded him. And and who knows? You know, maybe is what the Lord wanted. But from my perspective, knowing him, knowing her, knowing that whole situation, I, I saw that as a self righteous Pharisee. When, when Paul, look back again, 
in, in chapter 2, verse 4, when he wrote that letter, look at it, it says, Out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you with many tears. I mean, if we're going to, he rebuked him severely, but when he did it, he did it with tears. You know, William Barclay also said this about that. Even admitting all that, the, the last thing Paul wished was to rebuke. He did it only under compulsion and took no pleasure whatever in inflicting pain. There are those who take a sadistic pleasure in seeing someone wince beneath the lash of their tongue, who pride themselves on being candid when they are only being rude and on being blunt when they are only being boorish. It is the simple fact that the rebuke which is given with certain relish will never prove as effective as the rebuke which is obviously unwillingly dragged out and which a man gives only because he can do no other. Do you see the, you see the difference, you guys? It would be so cool if we can become a healthy church that, that we're bold enough to, to say what we need to say when we need to say it, having bathed it in prayer, but at the same time, not arrogant in that self-righteous attitude. You see, I love what we read right here, how Paul, um, dealing with the Corinthians, he gives us so many really, really cool things. You know, how he's blameless, he doesn't condemn them, he's loving, willing to rebuke. Number four, look, it says right there, great is my boldness of speech toward you in verse four, and great is my boasting on your behalf. What's that all about? You know what that is? That's a, a, a person who is optimistic. Optimistic. You know, especially as a pastor, but I think for all of us as Christians, we need to know that there's always hope for someone, even to the point where when you don't see it yet, you believe in them. And you give them that vote of confidence. For example, when Jesus saw Peter and he was all messed up, he said, Lord, depart from me because I'm a sinful man. You know, the Lord said, no, you're, you're not. You're, you're the rock. You're a rock. You know, and, and we get people in our life and, and sometimes, you know, we, we think that there's no hope for them and that thought can enter, enter our mind and, 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 and God says, no, you know, I don't want you to have that, that thought. As a matter of fact, I want you to be confident on their behalf. I want you to boast about them. I know, son, I know you're going to be a godly man. I believe in you. That, that's what Paul was doing with the Corinthian church. There was still, you know, some that weren't there. There was still some that were carnal, but he was boasting about them. He was boasting, hey, you know what? They're going to give the gift, and we'll talk about that later. They, they pledged to give the gift, and they're going to give it, and, and they're going to come back, and they're going to be right on. I just know it. Christians, we need to have that optimistic attitude. I'm not talking about you know, unreasonable, but, but optimistic. I remember a long time ago, there was a guy that started attending the church I was going to, and he was, uh, he was pretty bad. He was pretty bad, and, you know, um, drugs, and, and, you know, things not going cool with his wife. And uh, I remember him going to the church for a while, and just kind of in and out, and up and down, and, not, you know, there wasn't really that breakthrough yet. 
And uh, uh, finally, one of the guys that was there, he was doing the Monday night study, he came to me and said, Manny, this guy will never change. And I said, what? You're teaching the study? You know, for recovering drug addicts and alcoholics? And you're leading the study? And you're saying he will never change? I said, you can't say that. We can't have that heart. I'm optimistic. Paul was optimistic. He was boasting for the Corinthians, you need to be optimistic for the people that God puts in your life that you give them a vote of confidence. I said, you know what? God can touch anybody. You never have that attitude. And sure enough, God touched this guy. Now he teaches our Spanish study. Crazy Peter, man. (laughs) I can think of others, you know. Elazar, you know, he was pretty bad. You know, I mean, he'll never change. Look at him now. I mean, we have to have that optimism. These are things for us as Christians to take note of. Paul's our example. He was blameless. He didn't condemn people. He was loving. He was willing to rebuke them, but he did it first gently, eventually, if necessary, severely, but he did it with tears. We have to be optimistic. Look at the next thing we read right here. He says, I am, I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. But we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts. Inside were fears. Nevertheless, God who comforts the downcast." comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. You know, and I hate to kind of summarize this, but number one, we're running out of time, and number two it, it, it kind of does all like kind of fit together now what happened. Like I was telling you earlier, um, Paul wrote the letter, send it with probably Timothy and Titus, we're not 100% sure, but he was supposed to meet up with Titus, to, he was supposed to give him the report, what happened. And, and during that time, all I can say is it was, a, it was a tough time for Paul. It was a tough time. We read back in chapter 2, verse 13, that he had no rest in his spirit. Now we read he had no rest in his body. Have you ever been there where you can't sleep? Some of you are like, no, I have never been there. Praise God for that, you know. But, you know, man, there's those times when life gets so hard. Life gets so tough. You, The conflicts, the fightings, these things that Paul was going through, what are they, you know, the Corinthian church is going to say? Is Titus okay? You know, he's carrying a lot of money. He's bringing the offering from these other countries. And you just started worrying about him. Have you ever worried maybe about your spouse? You didn't hear from them for a while. You're wondering if they're okay. I know there have been a few times where I've, you know, worried about Shelly. I think her more so than me. But, but there are those times where I won't, where is she? It's not like her. Usually I know where she's at. She's at Target or she's at, you know, the... Shopping at the mall? No, I'm just joking. She's um, wherever. I mean, usually I know, but then there's, where is she? And then then you start wondering, is she okay? I mean, did someone come in? I mean, did something happen to her? 
You know, and, and, and to be honest with you, I call her, she doesn't answer. And then it's like, whoa, and then the wheels start turning. And, you know, I, don't, I mean, I, I can't think, I don't even want to think that way. Yesterday we were going for a walk, and, you know, she, you know how wives are sometimes. She asked me the question, she said, if I was to die, would you still go for a walk, you know? <laughs> I'm all, why would you ask that question? No, you know, and in all honesty, I'm like, I don't even want to think that thought. My prayer is that you and I, sweetheart, will be able to walk for the next 40 years, right? But, you know, there are those times where you wonder, are they okay? Are they physically still alive? And then when you see them, you just like, thank you, Jesus. They're okay. That's where Paul was with Titus. And, and, and there's a lot there, but, you know, I don't know. That was his situation. What's your situation? What are you going through? What's bringing you down? Right here, he, he uses the word downcast. They can be translated depressed. You know, what are your struggles? What are your trials? What are your tribulations? I'm here to tell you this, that no matter what it is, there's a purpose for it. And God, He's the God that comforts the downcast. You know, sooner or later, your, your Titus will come. Sooner or later, your answer will come. Sooner or later, your knight in shining armor. Sooner or later, you know, that answer to your prayer, it will come. You want to know why? Because God, He always comforts the downcast. You know, I wish there was a way that we could go around the trials and the valleys and, and the pains and the conflicts within and without and all the troubles that we have just living in a fallen world. I wish we could avoid all that. But I tell you what, you know, we can't. Not until we're in heaven one day. But one day, God's going to come and that comfort, that healing is going to be so sweet. And God's going to be glorified. You know, of course, I always pray with, with the Lord Lord, let me see it now in the land of the living. Please, Lord. But if for some reason God has higher plans, then we yield to him. You guys know that God will comfort you, right? Do you guys know this, that God will wipe away every tear? Do you guys know that? Do you guys know that he knows every time you get up and you get down, and he knows all the thoughts that you think. And he still loves you. This is the God that we serve. It's the God who comforts the downcast. And it's so cool how the Lord in verse 7, he worked everything out right there. He says, man, that, you know, not only did Titus come, but he gave me the good news, you know, that you guys are cool, that you had this earnest desire, longing. You mourned over your sin. You had zeal even for me. Praise God. Who would have ever thought, in one sense, I see it this way, that he answers exceedingly and abundantly above what we would have ever thought or imagined. You see? You know, God, God comforts us, um, not so that we could be comfortable, <laughs> 
But then we can go on and then, and then what happens? We, we become comforters as well. And God uses our life to do what? He uses our life to reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ, which really is, is what, what it's all about, you guys. It really is, man. My prayer is that you guys would be so careful. I was talking to one of the, one of the brothers in between services, and he was telling me about how, um, um, how I have this problem where I forget what I was thinking. <laughs> and uh, no, you, you were just talking about how you guys know um, things are changing in this country, right? This, you guys know things are changing, and they're not only changing, they're changing rapidly. And they're not just changing rapidly, they're changing radically. And so I was talking to his brother, and I said, because we were talking, and he says, and Pastor Manny, I think that's why I'm going through the trials I'm going through right now. Because God is, God has to get me ready for the world that, that I'm living in here now that's going to test every Christian. Are you real? Because if you're here today and you're not real, you're just a fake, you're going to fall away. And so, you know, the, what the Lord does to me in a real tangible way is, Manny, no more of that, no more of that, no more of that. I don't know what that is for you, but if the Holy Spirit is saying, no more of that, no more of that, no more of that, then no more of that, okay? And then, I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, my, my life, and the Holy Spirit is saying, I want you to do that, I want you to do that, and I want you to do that. And, and I felt like, and I'll tell you this, this last Tuesday night when we were at the class in the Bible college, I felt like a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. It was a greater awakening. God is moving. And, and maybe even here, right, right here, right now, where God is calling you to just... You know how it is sometimes when you go swimming and you're like, man, I don't know what to do. I think I'll put my foot in, you know? And you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to go in now. And, you know, what, what's the best thing to do? Dive in. It's the best thing to do. Maybe for some of you here today, you just need to need to dive in. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code six two six four five four three four one four. Remember that Jesus loves you.